1: All right, John, thanks so much. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wagner Front and center this hour, the rally back in stocks. Why some say it is now poised to continue. We'll debate and discuss that the road ahead with the Investment Committee. Joining me for the hour today, Joe Terranova, John Najarian, who's the co-founder of MarketRebellion.com. With me right here on set, Shannon Sakosha and Surat Sati. Let's check stocks. 12 noon in the east. Got off to a really good start. We've paired back. We've cut the gains about in half. And maybe some of that has to do with the 10-year work and it's way back above 3% for the first time in a little while. Jim Cramer tweets a little bit earlier, Shannon, unsustainable rallies, the hallmark of a negative market. I mean, the sentiment is still very negative. How much more room do you think this has? I mean, we've, we've come a long, long way. We've come like nine, more than 9 percent on the Nasdaq, more than 8 percent on the S&P and so forth.
2: Well, I, I, I think that it's going to be continued challenging over the next several weeks. I, if you look at what the catalysts are, we're really just relying on economic data and the um, The evaluation of that data and how the Fed will react over the next few weeks. And each of these data points is going to have two sides of it. So we're going to be oscillating between optimism and pessimism on a day-to-day basis. There's still a lot of concerns about margins. There's still significant concerns about earnings estimates coming down in the back half of the year. And so while all of us who are longer-term investors are looking at this and saying, okay, if I can buy a company that I really like now, that I can hold for the next five years, it's probably a good price. Will it be the best price that we're going to get over the next two to three weeks? Probably not. I, I think this this vacuum of information is going to create these large swings. I, there's going to be very little company specific news that's going to move us in the positive direction. And so I'm really not looking for a foundation for this rally to come until probably mid-July when we start to hopefully get some good news from companies directly.
1: Okay. Surratt uh, RBC's Lori Calvesina today. She did cut her S&P 500 target to uh, 4700 from 4860, though she does say we think U.S. equities are likely to reassert their leadership. Goldman's Scott Rubner today of their global markets team says this is the best market technical setup for a rally that we have seen in 2022 and the buyers come out higher. What do you think of that? So I think it's interesting when you look at it. So if you're a long term investor and you say, hey,
3: uh maybe things go lower i should get out now but maybe i can trade it in but then you've got goldman saying they're going to go higher you've got other strategists saying things are going to go lower i think you stick where you are and you look at the companies that you own and you say are these the ones that shannon said do you want to own for three to five years if they are not it's a time to rotate out and if it is you can add more to certain positions as we go into the summer and i think this is where kind of your your real investments are made for the next three to five years because things that have margin of safety are going to be really good companies. Do you think own. we put in the low, like fun
1: strats Mark Newton does, things we put in the low of the year? You know, said that I, last week.
3: I don't know if we have because there
1: could be so much more. The news could, be, could turn so negative so quickly. I know, but what's your, what's your sense? What's your gut tell you? Are you afraid to make that call? And if you are, I totally get it. No. But that's what I mean. Like yeah. sentiment has gotten to the point where people are afraid to make any kind of call.
3: I mean, if, if I had to, to – I would say we've made the low but I think we're going to bump along and we're down 3%, 5%. So yeah, I
1: pushed you a little bit. I knew you were come, going to come around with something. Either we did or we didn't, but I was going to get to a place where I gotta you said... i got to give
3: says, you an answer because I know if I don't give well, you an of answer, course. we know what happens to people who don't give you an answer. Especially
1: because you're sitting right in front I know, of me, too, exactly. so there's so like no will, hope for you. It'll be a long hour. Exactly. I'm glad you learned. Uh, Joe, so Friday's CPI That's then God. looms large, right? That, that is going to be the, the point of concern uh, for everybody, and I think you know, we had a conversation that that I suggested to you that I, I feel like it's kind of difficult to get too negative ahead of that the, for obvious reasons. I feel like risk is is moved from the downside, maybe to the upside, because if that thing shows any sense of improvement, they're really going to sell off stocks.
4: No. So the asymmetric risk in the market is to the upside. And, and re- let's remember, as I said last week, the 50 day moving average is still two and a half percent higher for both the S&P and the Nasdaq. So you have a confluence uh, of events over the next week that are gonna occur. Obviously, CPI, which you've mentioned already, the Federal Reserve, and then I think we're getting close to having some form of an announcement on what we're going to be doing uh, with President Trump's tariffs, which will be expiring in July. So collectively, all of that together, there's asymmetric risk to the upside. I think the reasoning why we're pulling back today, as you cited before, is a 10-year above 3%. And natural gas prices, which are up nearly 10 percent just today at nine dollars and 30 cents. Yeah, it's
1: starting to get your attention when you when you approach double digits on nat gas. I, I know not a lot of people are focused on that, uh, but we'll continue the market conversation huh. in just a moment. Julia Borston has breaking news. Meanwhile, on Twitter, uh, they now are responding to Elon Musk. Right, Julia?
5: That's right. Twitter now responding to Elon Musk reiterating his demand for user data. He's concerned about the number of fake accounts and bots on the platform and threatened to cancel his deal to buy Twitter. Twitter Responding, saying, quote, Twitter has and will continue to cooperatively share information with Mr. Musk to consummate the transaction in accordance with the terms of the merger agreement. We believe this agreement is in the best interest of all shareholders. We intend to close the transaction and enforce the merger agreement at the agreed price and terms. And of course, Scott, we have to point out that the stock is trading well below the $54.20 that Musk agreed to buy for. Twitter shares. now down at around $39 per share. Back over to you.
1: All right, Julie, appreciate the update there. Thank you very much. In other words, we ain't budging. That's the word from Twitter this hour, 12.05 on the East Coast. Uh, we'll see how this plays out for the rest of the day, no doubt. So Joe, back to you as you were making your thought. Uh, a lot hinges on what's going to happen on, on Friday with, with the CPI. It, it does feel Dare I say that the tone of the market has improved somewhat. I mean, as I said, we're up like 10% uh, in a fairly short period of time, but it still feels especially fragile.
4: Without question, It it feels as though the market could roll over once again, and that's more, I suspect, technically oriented. Uh, than it is fundamentally oriented uh, a lot is going to reside in what we hear from that inflation report but also what we get from the Federal Reserve so I think the right way in terms of to be thinking about positioning right now is obviously I am positioned for the upside but I'm doing it in a way that's kind of respectful of valuation, growth making a little bit of a comeback but I still want to avoid that hyper growth strategy I want to stay more specifically with growth at a reasonable price and then looking towards the value uh, I obviously want to be in value, and I give everyone uh, the, the the mention that I think you should be looking at financials and health care and really thinking about increasing allocations there from a value strategy perspective. Okay,
1: so we're going to get more into that in a little bit because I thought there was a really interesting note. We have Dr. Jay with us. Is he with us? Doc, where are you? I don't even see you, Doc. Yes. Are you with
6: me? Oh, you don't see me.
1: Not in, they yeah, didn't I'm, have you in the boxes. You. There you are. I- I just want to make sure I didn't see you. There I am. I want to make sure you didn't go somewhere. <laughs> you never know with you, Doc. Um, all right, the market. That's true. G- give me your thought. How are you trading it?
6: Well, um, I-, I wish I shared Joe's optimism that said that, you know, the, the, the biggest move could be to the upside. I, I can't agree, Joe, right now because... Uh, The consumers are telling us with that Michigan consumer sentiment data, Scott, Mm -hmm. uh, that was the lowest in 10 years, 61. Um, This has been just plumbing lower as consumers are being squeezed everywhere. Food prices, um, prices of travel, prices to fill up the tank and so forth, energy at home, everything is hitting the consumer. So um, if we do come out at about 8.2 on Friday, Scott, I guess that's better than than a horrible scenario but that's not the sentiment that the consumer is feeling. That's what the Fed is measuring. What the consumer is feeling is something completely different. So if indeed we did see an 83 to 85 sort of print on Friday, that would endorse more of what the consumer's feeling and to my way of looking at things, that would, you know, basically have us erase this 10-point rally like that. Um, I hope that Joe's right, and I hope that we have somewhere between 7.9 and 8.2, and that that might be a little bit of a Goldilocks-ish sort of area. But if it's a higher number, Scott, then it's Katie bar the door. We've got really smart folks, Elon Musk, Jamie Dimon, Satya Nadella, Mm. telling us, batten down the hatches. Um, The consumers are saying, batten down the hatches. The only people that aren't saying that are the Fed, and they've been completely wrong the entire well, 18 months of this Zoom on inflation. He's
1: not, they're not the only ones saying it, uh, and you gave me a perfect segue because Lloyd Blankfein's not saying that. He says, quote, on, t- on Twitter, which, which I found uh, interesting, worthwhile bringing to your attention. Uh, this was the other day, or maybe mm-hmm. over the weekend. Uh, dial back a bit the negativity on the economic outlook. He says, "If I'm managing a big company, of course I'm prepping for the worst." Now, obviously, he's alluding to comments from from the likes of Jamie Dimon preparing for the hurricane. But the economy is starting from a strong place with more jobs than takers and is adjusting to higher rates, riskier times, but may yet land softly. So, Doc, what do you do with that? I mean, here's a here's a guy who knows his way around uh, the world, how to operate a large firm mm-hmm. in unsettled environments, and says chill out for a second.
6: Well, he says that we have a chance, a chance. I'd like him to handicap that chance for us, Scott. If he told me that it's 60-40 in favor of a soft landing, he'd be way alone on that island saying that. I mean, I don't think most people are thinking it's 60-40 or any majority chance at all. I think they're thinking this is a postage stamp that we're trying to land this plane on. It's really small, the uh, possibility that we have a soft landing. Now, it could be soft-ish if indeed uh, the Fed decided to cut back to a quarter point in September and or pause in September. But September seems like a lifetime away right now with half a point coming now, half a point in July, and then Jackson Hole and September looming. So. I would say I respect the heck out of Mr. Blankfein, but it's not a a, a a very high probability um and i'd love to hear his handicapping of it, please, Lloyd, give us a holler uh we'd love to hear it from you yeah, on but I mean, air you could you say that there's you, a-
1: you could say the same thing about diamond uh with the hurricane thing right i mean he he didn't suggest that it's a guaranteed to be another hurricane. Sandy, for, for example, a, a super storm, mm-hmm. he, he threw out a range. I mean, it could be, you know, it's, could, it's stormy. I mean, it could be a mild storm. It could be a Category 5. I mean, you, you just don't know. But my point, Shannon, is, is asking the question as to whether things got way too negative, way too quickly, because as everybody has suggested, including the Fed chair on down, we are in an uncertain environment, but one that starts from a very strong foundation.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think we need to talk about whether we're talking about an economic softening or a true, deep, long-lasting, sustained recession. And that's where the starting point comes into play. If you're starting with 11 million job openings, if you're starting with 3.5 million people looking for jobs, if you're thinking about what is the consumer doing, they are spending less on goods, but many consumers are spending more on services. We're seeing. Look at the jobs report on Friday. Hiring, leisure, hospitality, professional services. All of those things, to me, don't point to a deep, persistent, sustained recession. And if we are not entering into a deep, persistent, sustained recession, then we have to think about what have we already done in the markets? How much has this adjusted? If you want to talk to me about profitability, are margins going to continue to be squeezed? Are you going to have to work harder to deliver on the bottom line? Absolutely. But preparing for a hurricane the existing economic situation that we have today does not point to that for this year and, and likely into the first half of next year.
1: You think things got too negative too quick? Yeah. And we need to reassess where we are and and where we may be going, right? I mean, the market was a sell first, ask questions later kind of a market. And now maybe we need to stand back and, and take a look at things.
3: It was, and, and it did bring down certain companies, 70 80% that were completely on mm-hmm. the, you know, the valuation mm-hmm. side. But things did get pretty negative. You are seeing demand, whether it's in airlines, you're seeing in hotels. So people are still going out there. And the question is, how much of demand destruction occurs when rates are this high or going higher and input prices go up? And that's doing part of the job for the Fed already. Right. So the question is, you know, how far does the Fed go when they're already seeing the data come in? And you'll see slowdown, whether it's in, in, especially in the, in the
1: goods part. Now, you know, you know, Joe, that the tone is at least moderated a little bit when the grizzly bear of Wall Street, i.e. Mike Wilson of Morgan Stanley, who, by the way, is going to be on with me in overtime today, unless he cancels after I just called him the grizzly bear of Wall Street, but I hope he doesn't. Uh, he's been negative, right? But now he says it takes time for earnings revisions to head lower. And in the meantime, stocks can hang around current levels until Q2 earnings season when the next leg lower is likely to begin and end. So he's as negative as he's been. But, you know, he he's – not an idiot. I mean, he sees the fact that the market has rallied, as I said, 10%. And there's a little bit of momentum behind this move. So he thinks it can maybe stay here, maybe go up a little bit more. But, you know, obviously, then it's going to be judgment time. What do you think about that view?
4: I obviously I I agree with it. And, you know, for for everyone on the panel to, to consider, I think what's obvious for markets in the last several weeks is that we've now fortunately reached a moment, and I'll call it just a moment, where we're not getting a negative response to negative news anymore. I mean, John knows this well. Pete came on air. He made a, a fantastic purchase of NVIDIA at lower levels. We had what was obviously a report, in which the you know stock should have continued lower, and it didn't. Uh, the same thing could be said for last week with the Microsoft news. The market should have gone down on that, and it's not. So I, I, I do think that we have, have now priced in some degree of negativity and it's reflected in a lot of the scenarios that I just said it. And, and even to a certain extent, talking about you know, consumer sentiment, which has been on the decline uh, for, for throughout 2022, I think that's kind of well understood already. So next week uh, you know, or, or when we get the, uh, the inflation reading this Friday, uh, if the reading is worse than feared, okay? We know we've got an inflation challenge, and the Federal Reserve is going to have to respond that Mm -hmm. next week. But if inflation comes in a little bit better, I I think that's where the market has the ability to move to the upside. Uh, So I agree with what Mike is saying.
1: Sorry, Joe. I think it was like a day or two after the Microsoft news was when the Huberty note dropped on Apple, um, which I was looking at as as Joe was talking about the market not going down on on negative news. Um, Apple was a big weight on the market on Friday. Now, the market is barely hanging on to positive territory now when Apple is actually doing the exact same thing, barely hanging on to positive territory. Once again, it's at 145 as we speak. The WWDC Worldwide Developers Conference kicking off today. We wanted to check in with our technology reporter, Steve Kovac. He's there uh, as they have this news uh, and a huge event this week against the backdrop of what's going to come in the, the quarter.
5: Yeah, Scott, that's right. In about 40 minutes, WWDC starts, and that's going to be where we learn a lot about software for all the various platforms, iPhone, iPad, and so forth. Uh, But hanging over this event, Scott, is augmented reality and this headset we're expecting later this year. So what what I'm going to be looking for is anything that Apple announces today that kind of builds on that foundation of augmented reality they already have. Now, you might not know it. Augmented reality already exists on your iPhone. It has for some time, but the use cases just aren't there because it's kind of annoying to hold up your phone and, and go all over the place with it. So the idea is they might have some new features today on the iPhone that can be translated later to the augmented reality headset, Scott.
1: Mm. All right. We'll look out for it. Steve, thank you. Enjoy the day. That's Steve Kovac, our technology yeah. reporter out there. The bottom line is, Doc, I mean, okay, great. New features, all, all great, fun event out there. It doesn't move the stock. It's not a stock mover, right? No. You're still going to be worried no, about you've got a month left before then we start talking about earnings season. And now what this Huberty report about a slowdown in the app store and the services business is going to mean for that.
6: Yeah, and that's Katie's estimate. Those aren't numbers directly no, from no, Apple. Of course. Those are but esti- I mean, she's Katie Huberty, yeah. right? I so, mean, you know. Yes, she is. <laughs> mm-hmm. And she's an uber bull on this stock. You're absolutely right. Um, augmented reality uh, and uh, some of the uh, uh, devices like these Apple glasses, at least in air quotes, that's what people have been calling it, um, it could be a game changer for them. Um, it depends how much of that they show us, Scott. It's more likely to be, just as Kovacs said, the, uh, the likelihood is that it's going to be tweaks to the operating system um, with some hardware upgrades for the iPad and things like that. So not terribly exciting um, and not surprising that the stock is flat going into that, but they could surprise either way. I, I would suspect that uh, a little more talk on the augmented reality side and those glasses could be exactly that kind of catalyst.
1: All right, Shannon, the other one we need to talk about is Amazon. Looking at it right now, up a couple bucks, close to a couple of percent. 20 for one split goes into effect today. Since 1980, according to Bank of America, shares of companies that do splits are typically a 25% a year, up 25% a year later compared to 9% for the broader market. They also outperformed three and six months out.
2: Well, I hope that that is the case here. (laughs) This is one of the largest uh, companies in our portfolio. Yeah, for what's been a
1: disappointment, right? Absolutely. Worst performing year to date, well, next to Facebook, next to Facebook. I've got that too, though, so there you Uh, go. Okay. (laughs) <laughs> All right. Down 27% year is Amazon. Yeah,
2: I mean, you look at AWS, this is still the story here. I think that continually uh, investors are looking too much at the, uh, the e-commerce side of Amazon. And if you strip out the e-commerce side of Amazon, AWS is worth more than it's trading for now. So I think, you know, this split, if we get some new additional investors into the stock, um, for me, this is still, you know, long-term thesis here is that that um, that part of the business is going to continue to grow very profitably and make up for whatever they need to do to continue to be loss leaders on the distribution side.
1: You got Amazon, too. I do. When what do you need about I, the split? The
3: Does it way. matter to you? I mean, it really doesn't matter to me because I like the fundamentals of the company. I do like the AWS piece of it. I mean, it's like the Google part of the Google cloud. These are the recurring businesses. Some of the other parts of their businesses are getting negative value, whether you're in now streaming and some of the others. So
1: I think you want to hold this for longer I time. mean, if you had to say, right, it's a... It's way more of a positive than it's way more of a negative. Absolutely. Right. Well, there's like nothing negative about it.
3: No, there's nothing. And, and you can't. in and, and to Shannon's point, you're going to get people buying this now that could not buy it when it was
1: over $2,000. Yeah. You're, you're going to have a $100 stock that is much more tradable now. Uh, from an option standpoint, too. All right. Let's take a quick break. Uh, straight ahead. We do have a big call on the semis today. We're going to debate that. We will trade it as well in our call of the day. There's your market picture. We are hanging on to positive gains. Barely, though. Uh, across the board for stocks there's the 10-year note yield probably playing a role in all of it 302 is where we currently are we're back in two minutes
4: old dominion freight line was built on keeping promises with an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate we keep promises better than any other ltl freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one visit odfl.com
1: to
0: learn more
1: We'll get to our call today in a moment. Dr. J, though, I wanted to come back to you for what you're seeing actually on Amazon regarding that option activity that we said uh, is unlocked because of this split.
6: Well, you said it. <laughs> and you're exactly right, Scott. Uh, this morning, 35,000 of the weekly 130 calls were bought just in a huge block. So that's 3.5 million share equivalent. Um, and I just threw it back out to you because you nailed it. Uh, it's not just that more people have access to the stock, which Prashant, I'm, I'm sorry, which Surrat correctly called, but also those options, which are just exploding. The volumes there will be uh, pretty telling about where the mm. stock goes in the future.
1: Yeah. I mean, it just gets lost sometimes in the conversation about why uh, stock splits can be beneficial uh, for certain types of investors. Uh, so I'm glad I'm glad you, you noted yeah. that I do want to move to our call of the day uh, because it's Citi out today with a new note on the semis. And they name analog devices. Uh, Shannon, you own it. So I'm, I'm going to go to you first. They call it their top pick. OK, don't be confused, though, because they're negative on the space. They're positive on this one. And the target goes to 192. Uh, but they are super defensive, getting more Uh, In fact, we believe semi-stocks can decline another 30 percent based on roughly 20 percent downside to estimates and 10 percent downside to multiples based on previous downturns. So you are, at least according to them, in the right one.
2: But should you be in them at all is really the question, right? (laughs) According to this report. If
1: if this is viewed as a more defensive place to be in, I don't know, maybe it's a port in a storm, right? Every sector has some stocks that are going to work. In, in trying times, and maybe this is the one that's it.
2: Yeah, and I mean, this stock is a pain, trading at a 15% discount uh, to historical averages. It is 51% industrial, 16% communications, which will benefit from 5G. Um, I think that if you look at the note and you look at the concerns, is really about PC demand, and this is not this is not new. We've been talking about lower PC demand since you know everybody started going back to work, and so I don't think that there's too much of a concern here for our position in analog but i think in the overall space there's a lot of talk about this over Um, ordering that has happened perhaps in the last couple of months due to supply chain constraints. And so there could be some cyclicality here that pressures these stocks a little bit lower. Um, You really just have to look over the next two to three years and try to determine how much of that end demand has been completely met or how much of this supply is going to be sapped as other parts of the supply chain get online. And I think actually that's the that's the positive catalyst.
1: What's your view here, Qualcomm and NVIDIA? are the the ones that you have. I mean, and they say that their analysis shows that uh, this downturn, as they call it, looks most like 2011, 2012. We believe the severity of a likely recession uh, will determine how long bad the downturn actually is.
3: So you look at Qualcomm, 11 times earnings. I mean, and in 5G is really where the strength is, and now they're in autos as well. NVIDIA, we've talked about gaming and, and data center. I like these coming out of a slowdown because they have really good intellectual property. The question of the overordering, yeah, we know that, but this could be the classic example of if they actually do what the NVIDIA did what Qualcomm does, which says, hey, things have slowed down, but -hmm. but we have really good solid solid balance sheets and demand. The question of overordering, I think this could be a one or two quarter thing, but these are really good cyclical growth stocks that are trading now at a discount, and they could could get a lot better.
1: Now, you say, I like these coming out of a slowdown, but what, what about going into a slowdown? Well, I mean, that, that, that's the issue at hand.
3: You could argue that Qualcomm at 11 times earnings is priced in the slowdown already. I mean, historically, it's been at 15 to 17 times earnings, so it's already 30% less than it, what it used to be. Doc, you have NVIDIA
1: stocks, Stock and Calls, AMD Calls, too?
6: yeah i do scott and i really love the uh nvidia side because they have those three big levers to pull um and anytime you have diversification of revenue streams you know it's one of the reasons i love apple and always pound the table about that Um, i think nvidia has that in spades now amd is just crushing it in data centers I don't see those going away with cloud and all the rest, as big as cloud is going to be. And we've already mentioned AWS several times on the show. But um, I I think AMD is really just head and shoulders above everybody else in the data center world right now. And that's why those
4: are the only two right now in my portfolio.
1: Joe, you own it. And I think it's the only semi-stock you own, right?
4: I I do. And listen, uh, full disclosure, Joe T. has significant exposure to to semiconductors. I think the challenge is as an investor, if you are uh, conducting a diversified portfolio construction, you have to include semiconductors within the allocations because they're so incredibly relevant overall to the economy itself. Um, The problem is, as, as Shannon spoke about, is that inventories are building and they're building very aggressively days of inventory rose to 53 days from 42 in the prior quarter. So the concern you might have, to your question to Surratt, Scott, is if the economy slows down further, well, IT spending is going to slow down as as well. Uh, That's going to lead to this continued malaise overall for semiconductors. And as I said before, as I I began the show, I think the market has the potential here for a near-term rally. But if you want to signal the all-clear... Well, you better be certain that the semiconductors are participating because they're incredibly uh, critical. Last point on that is I would look at Taiwan Semi. Taiwan Semi geographically in such an incredibly important part in terms of contributing to where the demand is coming for globally. But yet Taiwan Semi is really trading up rather awful as giving no signs of really – Uh, bottoming and recovering just yet. So I'd watch Taiwan Semi, which is not giving you the confirmation. Mm -hmm. Semis aren't giving you the confirmation right now. And with the longer term perspective of, okay, is this at all clear? It's just not there yet.
1: Yeah. Uh, Taiwan Semi is about to go negative, as the Dow just did as well. I should just note that for you. We're negative by about six, but we've given up uh, almost all the gains across the board. Nasdaq's barely higher by about seven points. Uh, S&P hanging on by six. So uh, that's where your rally has gone, at least uh, at this moment. And we're still sticking off there with 303 as the 10 year. So just keep your eyes uh, all the way to the right uh, throughout the day as well. And you see what rates are doing. We're going to take a quick break. Doc has unusual activity coming up. We do have the big ETFs to watch as well. Don't miss a special week of Mad Money with Jim Cramer. He is live in San Francisco. A big lineup of CEOs today. It all starts at 6 o'clock Eastern time. We're going to see Jim as well in overtime, which I'm super excited about. But he's got, look at that lineup he has of CEOs this week. Uber and Snowflake and Okta, AMD. We are just talking about that. A bunch of other companies as well. We're right back.
0: The spirit of performance defines Acura. And now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX. The ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura has been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com.
5: What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close?
7: And welcome to the ETF Edge portion of Halftime Report. I'm Bob Pisani. After months of outflows, bond funds have started seeing inflows again, including high-yield and Treasury ETFs. What's going on? Let's talk to Jerome Schneider. He's the head of short-term portfolio management and funding at PIMCO. He manages some of the largest actively managed bond ETFs in the U.S. Jerome, all the bond ETFs have seen outflows this year, including yours, but it has changed a bit in the last few weeks. But bond prices, they're down last week. They're down again today. Yields are up reconcile this for us. Why aren't these inflows going to just turn into outflows again if the Fed is going to continue its hawkish policies?
8: Absolutely. The trend has changed slightly for two reasons. One, the uncertain economic outlook that simply this is an anti-Goldilocks environment, one that where growth is in question as well as inflationary expectations, where the market isn't necessarily too hot nor too cold. That environment makes it a little bit more ripe for bonds to be considered. And the second one really has to do with the recalibration we witnessed in rates than the first and the second quarter, which has moved rates and more importantly yields for bonds to a higher plateau, which hasn't been seen in quite a while, and that's attracting new investors, primarily financial advisors who have been attracted to risk throughout the era of quantitative easing and easy credit financial conditions to move to a place where where in fact they're looking for yield and total return on a safer basis. And really they're identifying that bonds are a little bit different in this environment.
7: Yeah. You know, Jerome, you're one of the biggest active bond fund managers in the U.S. This caught my eye. According to the Investment Company Institute, passive index funds have overtaken active funds for the first time ever. Sixteen percent of U.S. market capitalization controlled by passive funds now at the end of 2021 versus 14 percent for active funds. That's according to the ICI. Now, you run one of these, the biggest funds in the U.S. that are actively managed bond funds. Do you think you can still provide outperformance after fees. Look at how much money keeps going into passive.
8: Well, what's happened really is two things. One, investors are really taking a look at what the fresh ideas are in fixed income, which is number one, higher yields and looking to how to adapt to it. And number two, they have to be more sensitive to the environment that they're in, which requires differentiation, differentiation in terms of credit spreads, differentiation in terms of sources of income. And that's exactly where passive, or sorry, that's exactly where active comes in in this environment, where passive may be left behind over periods of time. So the initial stage is the rotation of fixed income. The second part of that stage is creating differentiation in value in terms of active management. And that's where we see over the next one to two years, a tremendous growth in fixed income and more importantly, fixed income ETFs over the next five to 10 years. And that's really the focal point here, is that not only is it existing investors who are making that pivot from risk assets to more income-oriented investments, but secondly, financial advisors and other people who haven't necessarily been afforded the opportunities to partake of fixed income in the past are looking to ETFs and specifically active ETFs as the conduit to really derive value for their clients in an
7: uncertain outlook. All right. Thank you, Jerome. Now, we got much more coming up on the debate about bonds and active versus passive ahead on ETF Edge. That's 1 p.m. Eastern time. Is the 60-40 stock bond portfolio irrelevant now? And what's going to replace it? Jerome will be joined by Todd Rosenbluth, head of research at Vetify. Dan Wiener is the editor of the Independent Advisor for Vanguard Investors and Chair of Advisor Investments. He'll join us as well. ETFedge.cnbc.com. Halftime, back right after this.
9: Here is our CNBC News update at this hour. Taser maker Axon says it's halting a plan to develop a taser-equipped drone. Following the mass shooting in Uvalde, Texas, Axon had announced that it was working on a drone that first responders could use to fire remotely at a target. However, the announcement prompted nine members of the company's ethics board to resign. British Prime Minister Boris Johnson facing a no-confidence vote today that could remove him from office. Johnson is under fire for holding parties that defy nationwide COVID-19 restrictions. Most political observers in Britain think, however, that Johnson will survive the no-confidence vote. Results expected at 4 p.m. Eastern Time. Federal prosecutors are trying for a third time to win convictions in a case involving alleged price-fixing in the poultry industry. They're back in court in, Deven- in Denver today, aiming for convictions of five current and former executives of chicken processing companies like Pilgrim's Pride and Tyson Foods. The first try ended in a this trial back in December, and a March retrial resulted in a hung jury. Scott, back to you.
1: I appreciate it. Seema Modi, thank you so much. Let's talk now about this note from Wolf Research today. As we note that oil right now, crude, is at 118, almost 119 a barrel. The big focus on nat gas as well, up 9% today. It is north of nine bucks. Wolf wants you to play offense and defense, and they want you to play it the same way you've been playing it, i.e., Doc, Stick with commodities and classic defensive plays that we all know. But let's talk commods first, okay? Because you have a lot of exposure across the spectrum here. Halliburton calls, Devon calls, Schlumberger calls, Kinder calls, Diamondback calls. Uh, so, and, and what do you think, given your exposure in the space here?
6: Well, there aren't a lot of alternatives that people have right now, Scott. Obviously, um, EVs are a growing part of the way that people deal with uh, not having to buy crude fossil fuels, but that's a very small percentage. It'll grow, but it's small, so the alternatives are just not there. Secondarily, the sanctions that we and other nations have put on Russia make it uh, really tough for Europe in particular. So they're drawing a lot more energy to Europe from other areas that normally we and the Chinese and others would be buying from. Um, And I think that's just a, a, a perfect storm to send crude oil, as I think JP Morgan's analysts have said, up over 150. I don't think we get there in a hurry. I think it takes till the end of the year. But we're going to be dealing with six and eight and ten dollars a gallon crude oil uh, refined product. uh, That I just don't see an alternative right now, Scott. So,
1: you could pick at this call and say, look, energy's run a lot. Some say it's run too much. Time to take some money off the table. Uh, even if you don't want to, the market may do it for you because if something turns and people take money there, they'll put it somewhere else. They say staples have run a lot. Maybe that trade's done too, especially if sentiment continues to trend positive. What do you say? So I think on the energy side, You know,
3: for years energy did nothing, and right now it's got its day in the sun. And I think you have to be very careful in a diversified portfolio. Energy has definitely outrun everybody else, so it's it's okay to take some profits off there.
1: Are you doing any of that? Because you got Pioneer, you got Chevron, Apache, and EOG.
3: Yes, I'm. The most I'm trimming is Apache because it's really done really well. It's a speculative play out of those, and I'm trimming the others back to market weights because they've just done really really well in the portfolio. When you talk about consumer staples, I'm still overweight consumer staples. I think it's a good defensive hedge in a portfolio. I think if, if things slow down, you've still, you, as long as you're in the right consumer staple stocks, and we have Coke and
1: Pepsi and Constellation brands in there, uh, I think those are the ones you want to hold. Shan, materials and industrials. Uh, you own Freeport. You own Air Products. Martin Marietta. Rockwell Automation. What do you think?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think from a cyclical perspective, um, you know, we've been light energy, and obviously that hasn't benefited our portfolio. But if I look at our industrials exposure continue to think that the manufacturing renaissance that's occurring here in the United States is going to continue. Productivity is going to be really important to that. And so there's going to be a lot of capital reinvestment. Um, I'd like to pick and choose my cyclicals, but I think you need to have some cyclical exposure, even if we get an economic slowdown.
1: Okay, coming up, the good, the bad, and the ugly. We'll talk about the state of hedge funds in this volatile market. We're following the money. Our Leslie Picker is doing that next.
9: Here's a tip for your money, your future. To analyze your personal cash flow, take your monthly income after taxes. That's your monthly inflow. Then add up your monthly expenses, rent or mortgage, credit card, auto loan payments, all committed and discretionary expenses. That's your monthly outflow. Your monthly inflow minus your monthly outflow is your personal cash flow. And that number tells you if you're living within your means to prevent you from taking withdrawals from your investments to pay expenses. For CNBC, I'm Sharon Epperson.
1: go back to the halftime report. New data out on the health of hedge funds in this very volatile market. Our Leslie Picker, always following the money for us, and has our report today. Hey, Les.
5: Hey, Scott. Yeah, May was another rough month for hedge fund managers, especially those that trade both long and short in. Equities. According to Goldman Sachs, on an asset-weighted basis, this strategy was down nearly 2% in May, during which time the S&P was effectively flat. This means that the average negative returns were driven entirely by negative alpha on the long side. With little help from shorts, not that broader market activity technology funds were among the worst down more than eight percent healthcare was down more than five percent for the month on average you saw this in the returns of tech-oriented firms like tiger global and d1 which have taken massive hits this year especially in their public books pershing square which has little tech exposure still down about 18 percent this year interestingly though the computers that bet on and against stocks had a mirror image of returns during may systematic long short funds generated returns of two percent last month in volatile years like we've had the quants can make faster pivots than fundamental investors which is perhaps why you're seeing such a disparity between people and machines this year scott
1: they do say people you need people right now active management's better (laughs) in this kind of environment and we've heard that many times before leslie
5: That's right. Well, these quants, these systematic funds are actually considered active management because they're programmed to do things different than, say, the indexes, um, even different than ETFs. They do invest oftentimes in individual stocks. They just trade in and out of them quickly. And in the current environment, with so much... factors and so much news on a daily basis. Sometimes it helps to have kind of a computer at the helm that's maybe less emotional about trades. At least that's what the returns in May would suggest.
1: Gotcha. Leslie Picker, thank you, as always. Stay with us. John's latest unusual activity. Trades are coming up, plus all June. We are celebrating Pride Month. Here is CNBC desk manager Cassandra Francavilla.
2: My son opened up to me about his true identity when he was a freshman in high school. His ultimate goal is to be a commercial airline pilot and fly internationally. But there are 71 countries where being gay is a crime and it's punishable by
5: death in 13 of those countries. Pride is a perfect time for allies to commit
2: or recommit to doing their part in achieving the best future for my son that's safe and fulfilling in any part of the world he finds himself.
1: John, let's talk unusual. What do you have for me today?
6: But let's do that, Scott. I'm gonna start off with drugs and then I'm gonna go over to energy. Um, Take a look at Merck, M-R-K. In there, they're buying the October 90 calls. These are an at-the-money call because the stock was $90.15 when they started buying them. They bought about 9,000. That's nearly a million share equivalent. Second trade, like I said, energy, um, VST. Uh, This one, of course, produces energy for uh, almost 5 million people across the country. 7,500 of the July 27 calls. These are just out of the money. The stock was 2630, I think, when they were buying those. So uh, in both cases they're either at the money or just at you know just below the market. Third and final is QuantumScape QS. This is lithium-ion batteries and so forth. So another energy play. Five thousand of the weekly June thirteen calls with the stock at twelve fifty. And a very quick update. Pete last Thursday gave you Keurig uh, Dr Pepper KDP. Um, those calls were trading for forty cents. The June 35 calls. They went to $2.40 today as the stock popped on an inclusion uh, in an index. And for that reason, uh, you had about a 600 percent return on those calls. Okay,
1: good stuff, Dr. J. Thank you. We'll do final trades right after this break.
0: Thanks. Are you following the halftime report podcast? What are you waiting for? Real debate and actionable advice from the investment committee, plus unusual activity and more. Look for us in your favorite podcasting app. Follow the halftime podcast now. Four o'clock
1: Eastern with that man right there, Mike Wilson, Morgan Stanley, chief U.S. equity strategist. He will join me top of our program today. Josh Brown will be along along with Erin Brown of PIMCO. We'll get her latest playbook on the market. And then Kramer out in San Francisco all of this week. So he's going to join us, too. He's got a huge lineup and we're going to talk about the state of tech with Mr. Kramer as well. Let's do final trade. Shannon, you go first.
2: Uh, we mentioned it earlier, but uh, we bought this a couple weeks ago. Rockwell Automation believe that um, we are going to bring a lot of production back online here in the United States. Uh, and automation is going to be key given the labor shortages that we have.
1: OK, Joe, you're up next.
4: Name I haven't spoken about in quite some time. I got out of this in November at 457. Generac, I think what the viewers should do, mm. take a quarter position size and each of the Mondays during the course of June, I'll be doing the same.
1: Why Generac?
4: Generac, clean, play on clean energy, alternate fuels. We're coming into the hurricane season. And from a valuation perspective now, it's come down enough uh, to where I think that valuation is reasonable. Okay. Thank you for that. Dr. J.
6: Um, Unum, U-N-M. Uh, this is a Jenny Harrington stock. Uh, we're seeing unusual activity at the July 3750 strike. So I joined Jenny. I'm in.
3: Okay. Surat. American Express. So A couple of things here. You've got a tailwind with services spending for the consumer Mm -hmm. and then you also have the optionality of business spending as people start traveling. And then you got Gen Zs uh, and Millennials starting to spend.
1: Uh, they spent a lot of money and reinvested into their brand. So I think this is a good one to own. For you the got to upgrade today to buy uh, from Edward Jones, which makes me want to ask you, since we have a few minutes left, about financials in general, because you do have some exposure in that space, too.
3: I do. And I find in terms of valuation, when you look at the JP Mortgage, Morgan Stanley selling at nine to ten times earnings. So what we talked about, are some of these earnings discounted already? Potentially, but they're cheap stocks with good balance sheets
1: and growing dividends. Assuming you you think the economy averts the you know the the worst of the downturn, if you want to call it.
3: Assuming that. that it's not the worst case that we have a slowdown and we come out of it, these
1: stocks will do very well. Yeah, all of what's your best name, your favorite name in the group? Morgan Stanley is my favorite name. MS. Okay, all right, good stuff. It's great to see everybody. It's good to have you both here. No, thank you. Always fun. All right, the exchange is now. I'll see you in the afternoon. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only
7: on CNBC. We could try to explain what it feels like to get your work done on a John Deere, the way a Z-Track mower finishes in half the time you thought it would, or how much easier it is to move mountains of soil with a 1-series tractor. We could even go into detail about how it feels to tow up to 4,000 pounds behind a Gator XUV. But if you really want to know what it's like to run with us, you just have to get in the seat. Learn more at johndeere.com/get-in-the-seat or visit a dealer near you.